Harry, thank you very much indeed. You may have uh, noticed there that Harry prayed for Alpha. Alpha is um, actually it's a worldwide course. I think in this country alone there are 7,000 courses taking place um, uh, and they're going to be starting in the next few days. You may have seen these uh, leaflets at the back of church or the adverts on the tubes and buses and all that kind of thing. Alpha is a practical introduction to the Christian faith. It's a wonderful opportunity for people who just wanted to understand a bit more of what it is that Christians believe to come and explore. We, we often say that the A uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the name Alpha, the A stands for ask anything. And one of the rules that we have is that there's no such thing as a stupid or dumb or silly question. You can ask anything. Actually, it's such a releasing thing that all these questions we kind of secretly had and never felt able to ask. Alpha is the opportunity to, to ask those questions. But as you sit here, you think, well, you know, I've never actually done it, but well, you know, what's it actually like? And so what I want to do is to introduce you to someone who, in a sense, has done Alpha, although in a, in a sort of um, a rather modern way. So it's Rebecca here. Here's Rebecca. Uh, Rebecca Geiser, who's been with us for some time, uh, is uh, trained as a, an actress and is a wonderful cook, I can testify to as well. Uh, Rebecca, if I give you that, is that all right? Yeah. Um, just tell us, Rebecca, first of all, where do you come from? Where's um, home? Uh, home is Switzerland, but um, I moved here one and a half years ago. And, yeah, I feel very fortunate to be living in this area. It's really nice. Okay. And uh, you, you sort of came about a year and a half ago. You came along to St. Yes. Wonderful. And we got to know you. You've been part of a, of a house group. And, Rebecca, you've, you've sort of brought up in a Christian home. But, but um, before you listened to the Alpha course, um, w- how would you have des- described yourselves in, in Christian terms? Um, I believed in God, but I don't think I, I realised what the impact was in, in your daily life. Hmm. I probably was a Christian in church, but not outside, and um, struggling with many areas of what it meant to be a Christian. Yes, yes. And uh, as, as some of you may know, we, we've uh, actually got uh, copies of the Alpha Talks on our website. And Rebecca, you, you kind of downloaded the talks and listened to them uh, sort of over a period of time. Um, uh, tell me, what, what was it about the Alpha Talks as you listened to them that, that helped you in particular? Um, I think it really um, answered a lot of questions and gave me a sort of grounding in, in the faith and renewed sense of God's love and um, the knowledge that his grace is sufficient for yes. my life, that I don't need to be chasing anything else. He can, he can provide for you. And yeah. it did um, really help in my prayer life as well, which yes. I struggled with before, and that it's okay to be silent at times and yes. God knows your heart and what you want to say anyway. Yeah. So it kind of helped to clarify a number of basic did. issues yes. for you. Yeah. And having listened to those talks on, on uh, via our website and, and in effect done the Alpha course, kind of virtual Alpha course, I guess, <laughs> what, what difference would you say that uh, doing Alpha has made to your life? Um, a great difference. Um, yeah. It really, I think I can really call myself a Christian now, and it has impacted my life, and I've consciously sort of given my life to God and let him work in my life and not taking control myself and just know that, yeah... He's there, and I can trust him. Yes, allowing God to be God in your life. Wonderful. There may be, Rebecca, one or two people uh, sitting here today who are kind of umming and ahhing. I've never quite done Alpha, and they're wondering, I wonder whether it's, it's worth doing. Is it, what would you say? Is it, is it worth doing Of course Alpha? it is, yes. <laughs> and um, I think there are a lot of people out there who, who struggle, new believers like I was myself, and who feel lack of something in their life, and it really does answer your questions and because you can answer, ask anything you want yes. <clears throat> excuse me you want 
I'm sure that you know you will find your answers, and who knows, we'll have new souls turning to God. Well, wonderful. We hope so and pray so. Thank you, Rebecca, very much indeed for having the courage to testify this morning. Let's uh, yeah, let's thank God for Rebecca. Um, it, it, these leaflets are here. I tell you what, it's, it's a great help just on the inside. If you sort of fill it in um, and, and just hand it to someone at the back, or you can pop it through the door, the, the, the vestry door here if you're passing by. It's a great help to have a rough idea of um, how many we're catering for. I should say it's 7.30 uh, this coming Tuesday across in the hall here, in the upper room of the, of the hall. And we lay on a, a, a basic but nourishing meal. So you can come straight from work, you know, to rush home. Um, come, to, come for a meal and a chat. You meet some other people who are on the course as well. We're going to be uh, watching the talks on DVD. We'll be displaying the talks there of uh, Nicky Gumbel, the guy who's kind of helped to devise the Alpha course. So we'll listen to a short talk, I think it's about 20-25 minutes, and then there's plenty of room for discussion, for you to say what you want to say, um, what your thoughts are, where you disagree, um, as well as questions you might want to ask. So that's 7.30 this Tuesday, uh, over across in the Mission Hall. And if you are intending to come, even if it's just for the first night, then if you could fill in this and let us know, we'll, we'll have a rough idea for who we're catering. Wonderful. We're going to have our reading now, and uh, Mark Younger is going to bring it for us. The reading is from uh, Luke chapter 12, uh, beginning at the 16th verse. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. This is the word of the Lord. From time to time, people ask me, why do, you, why do you bring the thing up and take it down again, this sort of lectern? Why don't you just leave it there? And I, don't know, I think it's just, um, I don't know, it's a sort of clutter thing. I think it's sort of one less bit of clutter on the stage, so I kind of take it down when I've finished and bring it up with me. That's just in case you were wondering. Uh, page, what page are we on? 986, because uh, I want to speak from this little story that Jesus has told. So page 986 in the Green Bibles, and I'm going to ask God to help me um, to try and make sense. Uh, so I'm going to pray a short prayer. Father, thank you for Jesus. He was uh, the most amazing storyteller. Help us, Lord, to get behind what 
inspired this story. And we pray, Lord, that as in the first century, so in the 21st century, you would speak to us, our hearts, our minds, our lives. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, I've entitled this talk, it's a little sort of one-off talk, I guess, before we get into our sermon series, which you'll see on the yellow cards for October, November, December. We're looking at what it is to live in the kingdom of God, try and understand the kingdom of God and what that means for us in the 21st century. And, um, but here's a question that you might, you might have. It's maybe it's a question you have for Alpha. Um, and the Alpha course, or a question you have now, particularly now, how can we be rich? <laughs> how can we be rich? Let me cut to the chase. I don't think there are very many of us who want to be rich for richness's sake. But I dare say there are a number of us who want to be rich because we want to feel secure. We strive after riches, we strive after possessions, we strive after amassing stuff because we think that having stuff will help us to feel secure. And security, safety, and from that a kind of perpetual sense of significance is deeply important to each and every one of us as human beings. It's vital. Psychologists say that actually it's a deeply subconscious question that we wake up and ask ourselves virtually every morning. We're not even aware we ask it, but every morning we, we wake up and we ask ourselves, what can I do to make myself safe? And, and the, the way in which we order and pattern our lives is, is uh, very often at a very subconscious level is in answer to that question. So I'll say the things, or do the things, or be in the places, and, and, uh, and approach the kind of people that I do, and the things that I say, and so on. Because I think that in so doing, and by so saying, I will be safe, I'll be secure, I'll get through the day. At a very basic, as I say, subconscious level. We all yearn, strive for security. So it's not riches per se, but it's the security which we hope and sense they'll bring. That's what drove this story. If you just look, um, it started at uh, verse 16 when Mark read it to us and he told them this parable, this story. But it was in response to a particular request. And um, here it is in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, what's going on there is that um, uh, it, there was a kind of convention in Jesus' day that the older brother, the eldest son, would get a disproportionate amount of the inheritance of his father on his father's death. It was nominally about two-thirds. And commentators suggest that this man here is probably a younger brother or a younger son. And he, he's railing against this convention. It, this isn't fair. I'm only going to get a fraction of what my brother is set to inherit. Jesus, we'd like you to act as kind of judge, as arbiter. Can you basically tell my older brother with the authority we recognize you have to you know, go 50-50? And Jesus says, yeah, I'm not gonna be your arbiter. But, but Jesus has picked up what lies behind that request. 
You see, here's someone who's, who's because land in the first century, as, as today, although in the recent weeks we're not quite sure what's secure these days, but um, land was a source of security for the nation of Israel. You know, they had the promised land, and that's how the whole nation derived their security. And what lies behind this question for this man is, is if I can have as much land as possible, I'll be safe and secure. And Jesus wants to challenge that. That notion that our security is ultimately founded in what we possess or own. Indeed, he goes on to say uh, in um, verse 15, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life and the enjoyment of life, the security of life, not frayed away by anxiety and stress, but life in all its fullness, majesty, wonder and beauty is not sourced, not founded on the possessions that we may have accumulated. And so he tells this story of this rich man. Do you notice in verse 16, not that I think Jesus intends us to nitpick at the story, there's just a, it's a story, it has a point. But it's interesting, isn't it, that as Jesus tells it, it's the ground of a certain rich man that yielded an abundant harvest. The implication is the man didn't do an awful lot. He just so happened to have land that yielded that year an abundant harvest. What will I do, he says? So much. I know, I'll tear down the barns I already have and I'll create even bigger barns to store all that I have. And then I'll say to myself, verse 19, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. You're secure. It's all there in the barns. You don't have to stress and strain for years and years and decades. Put your feet up. Light a cigar. Read the paper. You're secure. And Jesus wants to question that, to challenge it strongly. Life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. I want to ask two questions this morning, briefly, if I may. The first is, why does Jesus say that? Why does Jesus teach that our security is not in what we own and what we have? And secondly, how can we be rich in Jesus' eyes, in God's eyes? So firstly, why does Jesus say that life does not consist in the abundance of possessions? Why in the story is the man who amasses more and more, why is he a fool in God's eyes? We need to understand and and get this straight. And actually in Luke's account of Jesus' life, Luke's gospel, there's a lot of Jesus teaching on money. But Jesus never really ascribes a moral value to money and possessions as such. It's not that possessions are bad inherently of themselves. He doesn't teach that. He never says that. Jesus wants to safeguard our hearts. He wants to prevent our hearts from the disappointment that will come if we set our hearts on treasure, on possessions. He wants to prevent us from the heartache of disappointment and dissatisfaction which eats away and robs us of our life and the reason why possessions don't satisfy is not because they're bad 
any more than they might be good. Possessions don't satisfy us. They don't make us feel secure because they don't last. They do not last. And we don't know for how long we may have them to enjoy or to use or to steward. That, if you think about it, isn't it, is at the root of so much of our anxiety today. I was meeting someone for lunch the other day up in town. And uh, uh, I was just struck by the, the kind of number of people flitting to and fro over lunchtime who just had, you can tell in their body language, in the way they walked or rather sort of marched, the frowns, the kind of lines piling up on their forehead. It, you know, it was a stressful place to be. You could, you could kind of almost smell the anxiety, the worry. I'm striving away. I'm busting a gut. I'm doing so much. Will it last? Do you ever play Monopoly? Do you know that? Do you know the game? You know what I mean by Monopoly? You basically sort of you get some uh, properties, and you can uh, you have a little portfolio of properties, and people land on your property. You can charge rent to them, and so you get more money. And with the more money, you can you can begin to put houses, these little green sort of tags, on the properties that you got once you got a set of properties. And um, you can get so many houses. When you've got so many houses, then you can exchange them for hotels. And of course, that's more rent, and so more money, and so more hotels, and so on. And you begin to amass power. And you begin to feel good. It doesn't matter if you're dad and you're fleecing your children who are age seven, five, and three. It's still just so good. And it's, it's an important lesson for them to learn. You know, one day they'll win a monopoly, but for now... Dad's got Mayfair and Park Lane. He's also got Regent's Park and all the greens and Piccadilly and all the yellows. And he's got Trafalgar Square and all the reds. He's calling two sides of the board. It doesn't matter even if you roll a double six. He's got you. And it's rent. I love it. It's intoxicating. It's great. It makes me feel so good and powerful to see all those red hotels on my property, to see all my cars laid out and my piles of money and my children with one or two pounds... <laughs> And the stations that are mortgaged anyway. <sighs> and then that crowning moment when they're all bust and I win. And do you know what happens then? Well, then the game is over. And what we do is we just pile up all the money and we pile up all the properties and we get all the houses and it just goes all back in the box. And we go on to something else. And my power, and my security, and my lust, and my greeds just dissipate away as the box gets put back on the shelf. As John Ortberg says in a book he's recently written, when the game is over, it all goes back in the box. <laughs> what then? Uh, my feelings of power and lust and greed and, and kind of just the joy of the moment. What are they founded on? The game's over. Now that's a, a, a modern reenacting of Jesus' story. We build up, we gather, we accumulate and we love it. We focus on the here and now and then. God says, you fool, the game is going to be over. And actually, unlike perhaps the game Monopoly, it's difficult for you, it's impossible for you 
to predict when that will be. You see, we live amid so much uncertainty. Now, as then, in Jesus' day. And when Jesus taught, amid so much that was uncertain, there was one thing that he said you can be sure of. It percolates all of his teaching. It's implied here in this story of the rich fool. This is what we can be certain of. There will come a day of reckoning. There will come a moment of reckoning. When the whole of the universe is weighed up and assessed. And that day will come about in one of two ways. Either the Lord Jesus will return in a blaze of glory. Or, for us, as we understand this day of reckoning, because it will come to every single one of us, either the Lord returns in our lifetime, here on earth, or we die before he returns. One of those two things is certain. It, it, it percolates all of Jesus' teaching about the kingdom. He teaches about being ready because you do not know. He taught about uh, these girls waiting for a wedding. Five were wise and had extra oil for their lamps and five weren't. And so they missed the bridegroom. He talks about people being in a, in a, a house and uh, you, 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 just, you don't know at what time the thief may come in. You, you just don't know when things are going to happen. And here he talks in terms of the certainty of our death. We will die and we don't know when it will be. It will probably be when we're making other plans. You fool. You've been storing up treasure on earth. Focusing on that for your ultimate security and worth. You fool, God says. See how he ends the story that he tells. Verse 20, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. And then this question, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And we don't know the answer to that question in one sense. We don't know who will get all the grain and all the surplus in these mega barns he's built. But there's one thing we do know for certain about that question. It won't be the man who died. No idea who will get all the stuff. But the one thing we know is he won't. That's why he's a fool, to have devoted all his life to seeking security in the things that don't matter and that ultimately aren't his and that will not last. That's why Jesus teaches that life does not consist of the abundance of our possessions. So how can we be rich in that context? Two things, if I may, uh, before I finish. How can we be rich, and actually more specifically, rich towards God? The first is a general observation. To allow stories like this that Jesus tells to help us regain perspective. Like the perspective of the power kick in winning Monopoly. It's only a game. It goes back in the box. Supposing you were going to stay in a bed and breakfast couple of nights in a B&B. What's that, sort of 50, 100 quid for the two nights, perhaps. And you go into the B&B and, oh, you don't like the wallpaper and the curtains, uh, they're just hanging off slightly, they don't quite... And you wouldn't have put the telly there if you were going to... And I mean, all sorts of things. But it's just a bed and break. I mean, would you spend hundreds of your own money in improving that room for two nights? 
in addition to what you're paying? W would you spend thousands on improving a bed and breakfast room? No, you, you kind of know it's only temporary. It'll be fine. It'll do. It'll serve its purpose. If you're going to spend thousands and thousands on home improvement, you do it on your home, your long-term place of residence, not on a short-term, temporary thing. And Jesus teaches, as he goes on here in Luke, we won't uh, read it, it's a uh, teaching that's echoed in Matthew's account as well. Store up, Jesus says, treasures in heaven where thieves don't break in and steal, where moth doesn't sort of eat and where rust doesn't destroy. Store up treasure in heaven because it lasts. It's eternal. In fact, its goodness just intensifies over time. It gets better and better, more real, more satisfying, more fulfilling to have one's heart secured in the things of God's kingdom, to have one's heart sourced, rooted, living in heaven. So to regain uh, a perspective, to seek God's kingdom, to store treasures in heaven where uh, our heart can focus than treasures on earth which don't last. It's to make that which is temporary become the perpetual servant to that which is eternal. How to be rich towards God to regain a perspective and within that specifically rich towards God well there's a um, a theologian in America who has identified two types of richness there's the richness of having and there's the richness of being richness of having is dependent on external circumstances and it never satisfies as I've hoped to illustrate earlier J.D. Rockefeller is one of the richest people on the planet in the last century. He was once asked, how much money does it take to make a man truly happy? And he said, just a little bit more. External circumstances and the richness of having never ultimately satisfy because they don't last. And deep down we know that. The richness that this uh, theologian talks about uh, and, and commends is the richness of being. Of being rich, not having riches. In fact, we need not have much at all and yet we can be extremely rich. Because it's measured not in possessions, but it's measured in our attitude and our love and our regard, our investment in people. as we help to shape them and as we receive shaping and help and truth and encouragement from them as we build relationship we are in effect mirroring and echoing on this plane the ultimate relationship between ourselves and God on that plane how can we be rich towards God so that we might be rich in an uncertain age, seeking security, we can be rich towards God as we recognize that the very thing that God desires of us is us. He wants us. And when we recognize that and begin to give ourselves to him, 
we begin the journey of becoming rich in God's eyes. God has already demonstrated just how much he wants us, he desires us. Paul says, consider Jesus who was rich but for our sakes became poor. He says, quoting a, a, an early Christian hymn elsewhere, Jesus didn't consider the it kind of equality that he had with God something to be grasped, to be held on to, to be greedy for. He humbled himself, made himself nothing. He came to us. He stepped into our lives. Humbled himself to death so that in the giving of himself, God exalted him and raised him up to new life. So that he was forever, eternally rich with him. How can we be rich towards God? It's recognizing how much God desires us and responding giving ourselves, our lives to him, our ambitions, our plans, our hopes, our dreams, our fears, taking them out, as it were, where they infect us on the inside and offering them to God. You and me, God, let's work these together. Let's breathe life in these together. Let's live life together. So that I can receive your riches and I can be rich in you. Satisfied and fulfilled. So that you can begin to recognize me as a son or a daughter. So that I'll never hear you say, you fool. Let's have a moment of quiet to reflect on the story that Jesus tells. Father, we want to thank you that Jesus was a great teacher. He is a great teacher as we study his word. Father, we pray you would continue to teach us as your spirit works in our hearts and minds. Help us to gain perspective, to be rich in you. For Jesus' sake. Amen.